0: Okay, Matthew chapter 12, verse 30. Whoever is not with me is against me. Whoever doesn't gather with me scatters. Now Matthew's gospel is an account of the opposition that finally took Jesus to the cross. Throughout the gospel, this opposition is mounting all the time. Uh, There are hints of it in the killing of the little boys in in Bethlehem by King Herod. Uh, there's the spiritual opposition that Jesus faces with the temptations of the devil just after his baptism. But Jesus started off very popular, huge crowds flocking from all over Palestine to come and hear him. But then slowly, steadily, the opposition mounts as he heads towards Jerusalem. So the crowds are crying out for his crucifixion. This opposition is very surprising for his disciples. They left all back in the days of his popularity. They'd left all to follow him. They were there when the big crowds and the huge success were all around about them. They didn't think of him being killed, they didn't think of him as a possible failure. They were on the winning side. They couldn't see his death. But they should have expected it. For Jesus clearly expected it and he foretold it often enough. Right back when the crowds were really huge, he called his disciples together and taught them the Sermon on the Mount. That the blessing that was to be theirs was the blessing of being hated and reviled and persecuted like the prophets of old. He told them that they had to be different to the world around about them. They had to be like the salt. they had to be like the city on a hill, they had to be like the light in the darkness. He told them of the narrow path, the hard path, the difficult path, that led to eternal life, for the broad and wide way that many were on that led to destruction. He warned them of the popular but false prophets. Who would do many miracles but would fail to obey their Father in heaven. And when He sent them out by twos, He told them that they would be maligned, just like He was. They should have expected that suffering was coming. Jesus expected opposition because He knew His Old Testament. So, when the voice from heaven came at his baptism, identifying him as isaiah 's suffering servant, he knew what was in store for him. It was the same voice on the Mount of Transfiguration, just a few chapters later in chapter nine a few chapters later than where we are at the moment. Jesus knew his Old Testament, he knew that passage that 's quoted for us down there in verse eighteen from isaiah forty two Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I'll put my spirit upon him and he'll proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He won't quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory. And in his name the Gentiles will hope. This servant of Isaiah 42 40, and it goes all the way through to 53, is the one who is going to pay the penalty for the sins of the world. Jesus knew that's who he was. While his healing ministry was there and huge, it was to be kept quiet. He wasn't to be crying out or making a great noise in the street. He was still bringing salvation to people and not just to the people, but to the Gentiles, to the nations as well. But it wasn't easy to recognise who Jesus was that he was the Christ the messiah it required some discernment it required some judgment to see this man as the messiah the king the ruler of the world the judge who was going to do bring justice to the world and that's what we see in Matthew chapter 12 it's about judgment the judgment that people made of Jesus and the judgment that Jesus is going to make of people. For Jesus was the real Messiah and they mistook him for a fraud and an imposter and killed him as a false Messiah. But because he was the real Messiah Jesus was and is the one who will judge them in the end. So let's look at the the judgment people made of Jesus. Let me point out for you quickly three examples here in chapter 12. Firstly, in verse 2, the Pharisees judged him by his disciples' apparent breaking of the law, picking the grain and eating it on the Sabbath day. But in fact, they didn't break the law. And more importantly, if the Pharisees had known what Hosea had taught, they would have not accused them at all. As Jesus says in verse 7, and had you know what this means, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you wouldn't have condemned the guiltless. Or second in verse 10, they were in the synagogue watching him. Watching him, you'll notice, to accuse him. They had judged him before seeing the evidence. They only wanted the evidence in order to accuse him. It's a, it's a great problem in making judgments. What are you looking for? Just the evidence or the evidence to prove your point that you've already worked out? Again, their judgment is that he's a lawbreaker. But again, they fail to understand the law of God. Sadly, hypocritically, they were, more, they were not concerned about this man whom Jesus was healing any more than they were concerned about the Sabbath, which is the day of salvation. Or thirdly, in verse 23, as some people ask the question, can this be the son of David? The Pharisees have an alternative negative judgment. When the Pharisees heard it, verse 24, they said, it's only by Beelzebul, the prince of the demons, that this man casts out demons. Is he the Messiah, the son of David? No, he's of the devil. That's his father. Jesus' response again points out their hypocrisy. It can't be by Satan. If it is by Satan, then Satan's house is divided and a divided house will fall. Otherwise, the exorcisms that you are doing are also demonic. But if I cast out demons by the power of God, then notice that the kingdom of God has come upon you and you are opposing it. But the chapter is not just about people judging Jesus, it's also about the judgment that Jesus is making of people, the judgment that is coming to the people. For in Jesus' answers, there's a great claim about the judgment, about the Messiah, about the King. Let me show you five examples of it in this chapter. Firstly, in verses 6 to 8, there's something greater than the temple here. Verse 6. I tell you something greater than the temple is here and if you had known what it meant, means I desire mercy and not sacrifice you wouldn't have condemned the guiltless for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Here's an extraordinary claim. Mercy and justice are greater than the temple ritual. That the prophets of old had said. But what Jesus is talking of is something even greater namely that the Son of Man is the judge of all the world, who is the Lord, he is the Lord of the Sabbath. And not just the week by week keeping the law of the Sabbath, but the very thing itself, the Sabbath of God, of which our weekly celebrations are symbols and even more, participations. What you are celebrating each week as you remember the Sabbath is that the Lord, Jesus, is the King of the Sabbath. That's a very big claim he's making of himself. Secondly, in verse 28, the kingdom of God has come upon you, he says. If Jesus is exorcising so freely, then Satan is bound. And if Satan is bound, then God's reign has come on earth. And with the reign of God comes forgiveness and divisions and condemnation. Divisions in verse 30, whoever is not with me is against me. Whoever doesn't gather with me. Scatters. Forgiveness in verse 31 Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven the people. That's a lovely verse, that one, isn't it? Doesn't matter what you have done, doesn't matter how bad it is, it can't be so bad that it's unforgivable. Every sin and blasphemy were forgiven. Except in verse 31 there is the condemnation, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Please notice the word therefore between verse 31 and verse 30. Verse 31 is spelling out the consequence of verse 30. Whoever is not with me is against me. Whoever doesn't gather with me scatters. Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. When Jesus comes, the division of judgment, you are either for him or you're against him. There is no neutrality. Here is the real judgment. And the judgment that Jesus brings cannot be avoided. There's no neutrality. You're either for him or you're against him. And so with Jesus, there's forgiveness for all sins if you're for him. But take careful note there in verse 31a, every sin blasphemy will be forgiven. There is such great news. There's nothing that you have done that will not be forgiven if you are for Jesus. But notice also 31b, the second half. There is something unforgivable. That is rejecting the Holy Spirit, being face to face with the work of God for your salvation, knowing it is the work of God and calling it the work of Satan. There's no forgiveness for that, for you are rejecting the very work by which you could be saved you can speak against Jesus, it's not just saying oh Jesus Christ or oh Holy Spirit, that's not blasphemy it's the rejection of them I mean you can even reject Jesus and later repent and be saved like Saul of Tarsus was who became Paul the Apostle but if you knowingly see the work as the work of God and reject it well there is no other salvation there is no other way If you reject the way of salvation, you yourself are rejected. The third and subsequent judgment passages flow out of this division of verse 30, where there is no neutrality. You're either before Jesus or against him. You're either a good tree or a bad tree. So, thirdly, look at verses 33 as I read. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. The tree's known by its fruit. Some of you are really clever and you can pick the trees by their leaf. But me, until the, till the apple comes, until the orange comes, I can't pick the difference. An apple tree, an orange tree, just a tree. But once I see an apple, once I see an orange, once I can, uh, can see it's a banana, then I actually get the drift of the things different. The fruit makes it absolutely clear to me. Well, what's the fruit he's speaking of here? Why, well, it's our very words. The words that we speak indicate what is really on our heart especially the careless words the ones that we haven't premeditated and thought you see I've got a lot written out here because I've premeditated what I'm saying here it's all carefully worked out but the really dangerous ones are ones when I leave the script like I just have at this very minute this is the danger moment because now I could say something that is not thought through properly and will reflect what's really on my heart And they're the ones that in particular you're going to be judged by because they're the ones that show what you really think. Those careless, racist comments that somebody may make actually speaks volumes about what's on their heart, really. And then, fourthly, there's an evil and adulterous generation that seeks a sign, says Jesus, verse 38, over the page. Some of the scribes and the Pharisees answered him saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from heaven, a sign from you, rather. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment of the generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. When the great Jonah, when the great Solomon, when they are there, there's something greater right in your midst right now. Nineveh, when they heard Jonah, had come back for the great fish, when he preached to them, they all repented but there's a greater one than Jonah right in your midst at the moment and yet you will not repent and the queen of Sheba she came from the ends of the earth to hear of Solomon and to learn from Solomon and yet Israel you know God there is someone greater than Solomon right in your presence and you will not listen for whoever is not with me is against me And so he goes on, speaking of the unclean spirits in verse 43, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places, seeking rest, but finds none. Then it says, I'll return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept and put in order. And then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. So it will be with this evil generation." You do not think that you can accept the exorcism and then remain neutral towards the Son of Man. If you don't gather with him, you will scatter with him. If you don't embrace him thoroughly, why then evil will return and the worst state, the last state will be worse than the first state. Which brings us fifthly and finally to this last paragraph of the chapter, verse 46, again of judgment. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hands towards his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sisters and my mother. True family relationship with Jesus is not genetic but found in doing the will of his father. Mary and the brothers stood outside, but you can't stand outside and call to Jesus. You must come inside and seek to hear and practice whatever he tells you. Now the Gospel of Matthew then recounts for us the rejection of Jesus, his betrayal, his denial, and finally his crucifixion. He came to preach the kingdom of heaven but whenever he went and wherever he went he brought the vision. Turn back just a couple of pages back to chapter 10 back to chapter 10 page 983 verse 34 do not think that I have come to bring peace on earth I've not come to bring peace but a sword Jesus is not a comfortable person. He doesn't come to put us at ease and make us feel comfortable and nice and relaxed. He actually comes bringing the judgment of God. And as you react to him, so you are reacted to by God. And some in the family will accept Jesus and live, and others in the family will reject Jesus and perish. And there'll be enmity put between the two and hostility between the two. Neutrality is not an available option for he brings judgment wherever he goes. And so our text in chapter 12 verse 30 is, whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever doesn't gather with me scatters. The vast bulk of majority wants to sit comfortably, neither for nor against, but that is the one fence that is not available to sit on when we talk to Australians, when we ask them about Christianity, they know that Jesus is the best thing that 's ever been going. they know that the gospel and the Ten commands of the Old Testament teach what is right and what is wrong they 're happy to say. Yes, on the census form, I'm a Christian. The vast majority, something like 70% of the population will say yes. They are believers in Jesus. Yes, they are Christians. Yes, they believe in... That's, that's huge. But of course, how many actually follow the Lord Jesus Christ? Listen to what he has to say. Put it into operation. If you're not really for him, you're against him. If you don't gather with him, you scatter. But in people's judgments of Jesus, motives play a big part. You see, the Pharisees were challenged by Jesus in his teaching and his popularity. He wasn't the Messiah that they were expecting. They'd lost touch with the Old Testament expectations, the importance of mercy over religious practice, and so they looked to accuse him for failure to fulfill the religious practices that they thought were important And so they look to find fault at him. Oh, beware, my friends, isn't it? When you find yourself in judgment, looking to find fault in the other person. It's like looking to find justification in yourself. (laughs) Both are a folly. Here's the problem for all people today. We demand that God comes up to our standard not conscious that our own standards are lower than God's. We want God answerable to us. If I were God, I would rule the world this way or that way. Why doesn't God come and do what I think he should come and do? Not conscious of our own failures to fulfill what we demand. I believe in telling the truth, but I tell lies not conscious that God is exceeding our standards in every way. And so we don't like what Jesus is doing, what he's doing to our traditions, what he does to our religion, what he does to our way of life. We don't like the way he challenges our self-centeredness or our materialism or our hedonism. We don't like the way he reminds us all the time of death and judgment. And so instead of listening to him, instead of changing our ways, we look to find fault and to accuse him. We look to justify ourselves by being dissatisfied with him. I don't know where you personally are. I mean, at least you are here hearing his word in the middle of a busy day, aren't you? But think of those that you return to the office with and their willingness to hear the word of God. And think of your own heart in not only wanting to hear what God has to say, but in putting it into operation. And so the content of the judgments of Jesus were that he was breaking the law of God on the Sabbath day. He was acting out of the devil's power. He was, he was not given a clear, giving a clear sign. But he was not breaking the law. He was bringing the Sabbath of God. For the Sabbath of God is the time of mercy and forgiveness, of healing and goodness and of salvation. He was bringing it And he was not acting out of the devil's power. He was bringing the kingdom of God, the judgment of the world. He was dividing, but he was forgiving. He was condemning, but he was saving. And he was not failing to provide a sign. He was the sign of the kingdom of God. He was greater than Jonah, greater than Solomon. Even the pagans would see them and repent. But Israel could not recognize its God when he came to them. And today still people will quarrel, asking for true signs. Friends, if you don't believe Moses and the prophet said Jesus, you won't believe even if someone comes back from the dead. There's nothing that Jesus failed to do. There's nothing that he did wrong. But because of our sinfulness, we prefer to judge him than accept the forgiveness that he has won for us. But the problem with all these rejections of Jesus is the old problem knowing as judging the judge. When you get called to court, my wife was called to court recently, you've got to pay very careful attention to the furniture. You must work out am I a witness? Am I on the jury? Am I the judge? Or am I the accused? Am I sitting on the bench? Or am I standing in the dock? Am I to judge or am I to be judged? You see, people all want to sit in the judgment seat over God. They want to put God in the dock. They want to put Jesus in the dock. And they're going to make judgments about Jesus. It's the most dangerous activity to be engaged in. For he is the judge and you are not. Your opinion of him is of little concern. His opinion of yours, of you, is eternal destination. And yet he's not somebody that you can stay neutral about. For Jesus was either greater than the temple, greater than the devil, greater than Jonah, greater than Solomon, or he wasn't. Jesus either bought the Sabbath and brought the kingdom of God to earth, or he didn't. And if he is the Son of Man to whom the judgment of the world is given, then we are to join with him, gather with him, do not oppose him, do not scatter And if we do not join him, then we will be amongst those who oppose him. For if we do not gather, then we are scattering. There's no neutrality with Jesus. Verse 30, whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever doesn't gather with me scatters. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus and for the salvation he brought for the sabbath he brought for the day of rest when we can come into your family fully forgiven cleansed transformed by your spirit through his death and resurrection and yet father that salvation you bring is a judgment and condemnation as well and so we pray father that each person here might know of the salvation that is found in jesus christ that we may share it with others gathering them also into your kingdom. Take from us, Father, that risk-averse desire to sit on the fence about Jesus. Give us by your spirit that commitment that we saw even in the pagan city of Nineveh to turn back to you and put our trust completely in your Son. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.